Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of For the Love of Sports with James Shiano. James is a very cool dude. He's a friend of mine. Uh, He is a professional baseball writer. Um, He was a radio host back in the day. He went to Ohio State, so we have a little banter there, but he's also a very, he's a Mets fan, so that that obviously is very important for me, Um, but it was a lot of fun getting to talk to James on, you know, how he's developed gigs, what he's done over the last couple years to become a professional writer of baseball, Uh, fantasy, prospects, minor league, major league. He's just doing some of the really coolest things, Um, and we get really deep into, you know, what it's like being a writer and kind of how he can continue down this path and what he can do with it. So very excited. It was a lot of fun. And I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with James. I have, a, I have my good friend James Shiano here with me. And I know I just asked you, but now that we're recording, any relation? No, no relation. No, no relation. Somewhere along the line, I'm sure, there's not that many Shianos. We yeah. come from a very small island called Ishkia. But, Ooh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. West Coast right. Naples, really tiny hunter and gatherer islands. Very nice. Lovely. That sounds gorgeous. We yeah. should go there. That sounds great. Yeah. We can talk about baseball there next time. How's that sound? Yeah, I don't think they have much baseball there, but I'm still down. Well, I mean, anyway. we'd still have the internet, and MLB TV works better outside of the country than it does inside the country, for being honest. So. MLB TV's new initiative this year, they're not blocking out local games, which is what massive, yeah. Whoa. For New Yorkers like you and I. Yeah. Cut the cord and watch the Mets. I had no, literally the only reason mm-hmm. I have cable is because I can't get the Mets and my mm-hmm. girlfriend can't watch the Rangers. So once <laughs> MSG figures their shit out, we're good to go. Yeah, I don't think he'll ever do that. I don't think James Dolan's giving up a cent. As the cable man he is. Cable man. I like that. That's true. Mr. Uh, Mr. Cable Vision. Yeah, that's crazy, yeah. dude. Awesome. Well, yeah, I get to talk to my good friend, James Shiano. Um, mm-hmm. Reason I ask, if you're from New Jersey, uh, Rutgers head coach, um, Greg Shiano, Uncle Greg, as we like to call him. Uncle family. Greg. Family. Forget about me. I love you. You know, all that stuff. Um, the uh, literal greatest coach in Rutgers history, I have to assume. Other than I the mean, guy, like, the guy that maybe coached the first game. Don't yeah, worry. Birth, birthplace of college football. Yeah, of course. Hey, uh, rumor has it they tried to get a game in with Harvard this year in their hundredth season, and it was just too much of a calamity to even try dealing with Rutgers Athletic Association. Wow. Why? Not, yeah. Why? Why Harvard? Why not Princeton? Maybe it was Princeton. Whoever they played the first okay. game. Okay. Yeah, Princeton. Princeton, yeah, Princeton was Princeton, first game. Yeah. 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 You're cool. You're cool. I'm not gonna hold that one against you. You went to the little T O S U. You're actually the second person. I actually earlier today I got to hang out with Evan Spencer from the 2014 national championship team. Did you really? Super cool guy. He was incredible. So if you're listening to this, that one should already be out. So everyone go back and listen to that because he was incredible. What a smart dude. Oh, my God. He threw that pass on the Thomas first Mm -hmm. in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. Yeah, buddy. They won. They won. Uh, So we got to talk about that. But I I don't know if I told you this, but Ohio State's like one of the most – I hate Ohio State so much. (laughs) Just so much. I did too before I went there. Then the second you step on campus, they like suck your brain out and install theirs right in the other ear. Love it. That's the life. I've been to Columbus 
and it's incredible. I freaking love Columbus. It's so much fun. A buddy of mine went there, went to school there. He lived out here, went to school there, came back for a year. He was a year older than me. So he pretty much just hung out at my college house from like Thursday to Monday every week. So we became really good friends. Eventually he went back out. So I visited him a few times there. And what a great town. It is just awesome. I can't, couldn't even imagine a better city to like become an adult in. And even after school, I stayed there for a little bit, worked, mm-hmm. had friends. It's like very up and coming too. There's tons of industry, tons of young people. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, when I was speaking to Evan, he has a, a venture capital fund based out of Columbus, yeah. Ohio. Yeah. He's That's doing awesome. some cool stuff, man. He's doing some cool really stuff. Cool. Um, yeah. But anyway, enough, enough catching up. I have James Shiano on here. Professional baseball writer. I think I'm, you, you have blogger. I'll take that. Yeah. Come on, man. We got to spice yeah. this LinkedIn shit up a little bit. You're a professional yeah, I baseball do. writer. Um, I also been, saw. I've been, yeah. been slacking the LinkedIn a little bit. I have some yeah. two, two new writing ventures that I'm sure we'll get yeah? to as we go oh, on. Oh, heck yeah, man. I'm excited yeah. to hear about that. Um, and then I also saw that you were a radio host for a little while. I was back in college at Ohio State. I was part of the um, Scarlet Gray Sports Radio Association where like people, we would um, announce games. We had some blogs that we did. And then we had a couple podcasts that we do from time to time about everything from Ohio State athletics, professional athletics to just things going on around campus, some funny jokes here and there. It was a great time. That's Thanks awesome, man. This yeah. is my favorite thing that I do. Um, like hand, hand to God, I literally, if I could do this 26 hours a day, eight days a week, I would be the happiest person on planet earth, I think. Um, and today's one of my favorite days because I had three. This year, my third, just absolutely incredible conversation and we're already off to a great start. But Reason why I wanted to have you on, James, um, professional baseball writer. Man, like my favorite sport on planet Earth is baseball. My favorite thing on planet Earth is baseball. And I'm so excited just to get to chat with you. But the first question I have to ask, where does your love of sports come from? My love of sports come from? That's a great question. I think a big part of my love of sports definitely comes from my dad. It was probably the first thing him and I bonded over. He tells me stories about sitting me in front of the TV, like with a sippy cup and a bib, watching the Mets game and just like oh. holding me to bed which I'm sure, I don't know how the subliminal mind works. I'm sure it's a big part of why I'm obsessed with it to this day. But I just, those are like my fondest memories, either playing with him, having catch, coaching my teams, going to games from an early age, and just like the hardship and the uh, despair that we share as Mets, Mets Jets, fans. Yeah. fans. Yeah, yeah, it's just the life. And when, you, when you're in the mud with somebody, that's it. That's how you get close. Exactly. I just saw, watched the movie 1917, all those guys in trenches. That's you and me, you man. Go. I mean, exactly. we're practically there, just <laughs> together, just kind of sad all the time, no matter what. It's incredible. Knee deep, knee deep in it, bayonet in our back. And I would not want to do it with anyone other than you, man. I appreciate you and, and who you are and what you do. So I appreciate that answer as well. That's one thing. I mean, the name of the show is For the Love of Sports. So I always want to know where that love comes from for everybody because there's, there's usually common, common ground amongst most people, but it's always nice to just hear that. And I think it's also a great way to start off uh, asking some questions and having a conversation. I also don't like to call these interviews. I, I mean, it sounds too formal. I like to think of it, yeah. we're just two dudes talking about stuff conversation. exactly yeah. right like i like it hopefully everyone else Good likes job. it too we'll see i don't know my goal is to do 200 this year minimum of 200 so if you have some friends i would really appreciate um so you went to ohio state uh you hung out there for a little while writing radio um you get into baseball how mm-hmm. so there are so many people i know that have started a blog um shout out to my cousin justin and my buddy derek who went to ohio state i hope they listen to this so they can hear me calling them out by name they had this incredible blog they had a legitimate like 700 to a thousand people that would read their articles everything they did it was called football withdrawal it was awesome they were funny um yeah and then they just totally gave it up because they're lazy um and it was very very disappointing and we pushed we pushed derek he he pretty much started it and we try to get him to do it all the time and 
very rarely. And then it kind of just fell by the wayside, which is disappointing. So I'm sure you've heard probably way more stories than one when it comes to something like that. So how do you actually stick to writing about baseball? I used to stick to writing about baseball. Well, I don't want to give any premonitions. I wish this was my blog, but that's a future endeavor for a future date. But really, I just, I was like kind of, I was about a year out of school, about a year ago from right now, actually. And I was just kind of bored with my the regular nine to five grind of my job. And I found myself most of the time, even at work, at home, at play, everywhere, just looking up baseball statistics, taking notes on different players, different trends I saw, different patterns I was realizing. And I was like, why don't I do this? Like I read about these baseball blogs every single day. There's a million people writing about baseball. Why can't I be one of them? There's no reason. And I've always had a real affinity for writing. I was a history major in school. I love it tremendously. I'm just doing it for fun. Take notes, keep a journal, all that stuff. And I just literally, about, it was literally, I remember it vividly. It was a year ago, the morning of the Super Bowl. I had my pulled pork sitting in the slow cooker in my kitchen. Oh. And I was sitting in my pajama pants and like a big hooded sweatshirt, just like typing away a sample article I wanted to write. About two pitchers I really enjoyed, Marco Gonzalez and Jamison Tyon. And... I just remember finishing it up, getting home after Zoo Bowl, belly full of pork, doing my critiques, doing my edits, and then just sending it out as a sample to a bunch of the baseball writers and websites I knew on Twitter. And luckily, one guy responded to me, Ray Butler from Prospects 65, who mm -hmm. was gave me my first forum. And from there, I just started writing for him, talking to him, and like building relationships in the baseball fantasy Twitter industry world. That's awesome, man. I love that. That is great. I mean, thanks for painting that picture too. I mean, your imagination brush has all the colors in it. So I, I love that. But um, first off, I hope that pulled pork was great. One thing, total aside, if you use uh, Stewart's root beer, pour that stuff into a slow cooker. Yeah? I do. That yeah. Recipe. Look yeah. at that. There you go. You're, you're, you're way ahead of me, buddy. Um, One bottle of Stewart's root beer and two things of Sweet Baby Ray's. Classic. Oh my goodness. That sounds yeah. incredible. So Good cute. stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, I just think it's awesome. I've read some of your stuff. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've read everything, but I've definitely read some of your stuff. I think it's awesome. I think what you do is great. And it's just one of those things where I, it hit me, I'd say probably a little less than a year ago. Like the coolest job you can have is being a creative. Like if you get to do what you want and, and create and do and just make, um, and someone's going to pay you to do that. Now, maybe you're not making a million dollars a year. Maybe you're only making enough to get by. But as I said before, if I could do this just enough to pay my bills, and I know that I would be able to do that, I would just do this 24 hours a day. Uh, because it is so much fun just getting to create conversation and just have a good time that, you know, I always love meeting writers. I always love meeting people that have been able to at least start that process like you have. So um, also a funny story about my buddy, Derek, he actually was a history major as well. So really? I'm yeah, sure at some point you guys might've crossed paths. I, I know Ohio State's a little big, Derek. but he, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's going to be at my he's wedding um, in a couple months. So if you want to come crash, like, congratulations. oh, thanks buddy. If you want to come crash my wedding I'll, offline, I'll let you know how, uh, yeah. <laughs> how you can do that. But Oh, don't worry. We're on the beach. So you just like a nice shirt and slacks. Uh, you're good. My cousin yeah. had a wedding on the beach a few months ago. It was such a it's perfect. Let's see, you're a writer. Um, <laughs> so I guess like, so uh, shout out to um, Prospects 365. I think that's awesome. I'm pretty sure I follow that gentleman, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. um, on Twitter. I try to stay off Twitter because it's like the worst place on planet Earth. Um, it's just yeah, negativity. It's so, best, but yeah, exactly. That's the other <laughs> side of it. Um, so I guess like what, this was only a year ago. Yeah. As, was, so like the Super Bowl was in like yeah, February ish. Yeah. Yeah. First week so of February. Patriots Rams Super Bowl kind of sucked. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Patriots won. My buddy's a really big Rams fan, so you know, RIP. But um, okay. that's incredible. You know, if I if I talked to you um, before then, I would not have known. But I, I mean, I thought you've been a writer for a very long time now, so you fooled me, I guess. I mean, I technically was because I was writing for that blog at Ohio State, and it took about a year ish off while I was like, you know, trying to be professional and a yuppie and an adult. But that's way less fun. <laughs> yeah. What were you What were you doing? I worked in a law firm on Columbus that managed campaign finance accounts. So I had about 20 to 40 clients who were politicians either in Columbus, in the state Ugh. of Ohio, or federally, and I kept their books. Hmm. Are, <laughs> they, bad, the are they bad people? Um, some of them were not the best people. I don't want to disclose that. I don't want to oh. disparage anybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clients, you're good. There were, there, were some, there were some folks out there. Seeing what the money that people spent on the things that they spent it on, and this was money that was contributed to them by people who wanted them to, their campaigns succeed, it was really horrifying to watch. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I hate politics, um, but that is what it is. So you then reach out to uh, what, what's his name? Pro- I know Prospect Three Six Five. Ray Ray Butler. Ray Butler. Ray Butler. Okay. Um, you reach out to him, and he gives you a forum. What exactly does that mean? And and did he pretty much just say, "Here you go, figure it out," or or what, what was that like? That like. So if you can tell based on the name of the website, Prospects Three Sixty Five, he specializes in minor league baseball and. And that's a whole another section of baseball Twitter that's really jumping fast, prospects Twitter. And it's all about finding the next best thing. And there's so much hype around every single one of these kids. And there's just, and it's like we've, the amount of information surrounding them is growing so quickly. So that's really where his website wants to go. I had like a short conversation with him beforehand that I, well, I'll write about prospects as much as you want or need, but I would like to write just about baseball. That's more of my lane. And anything about major league level, minor league level, things I see, ways I feel. I had like that. And then he was okay with it. He's like, yeah, it's fine. I don't care. I just want more people to read my stuff and your stuff and our stuff. And That's I awesome. And him for that, yeah. Yeah, and he just pretty much just gave you, gave you a spot and let you, let you roll with it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. And so you start off with minor league baseball. So I'll, I'll, I have a couple questions. I actually wrote minor league baseball down for a few reasons that yeah. I definitely want to talk about it. First, what the hell is with the 20 to 80 scale? Like, like who does that? I don't uh, get it. I mean, you mean like the pay scale? Yeah, no, 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 no. The twenty eighty, like, oh, his, you know, his power is a sixty, and his oh, his speed cool. is a seventy. Yeah, that's just. I first off, they never use the single the the the, the, the first digit column. It's right, always right. like a round zero. Yeah. So mm-hmm. why twenty to eighty if it really could just be like one to five? I don't get it. It could be. I think it was just kind of something that began. A lot of baseball is changing very quickly, but a lot of it's still very um antiquated. And I think the prospect grading scale is that way. And Baseball America was the first like real prospect grading form that we had. And I think they just, they kind of just set it up and no one's ever changed it. That it, you know? it never made sense to me, but that is what it is. And that's just, so how do you like, how, do you go and scout games? Do you just watch film? Like what is, what is a day in the life of uh, Mr. James Shana like? I mean, I never have, but I think there's a lot that can be done by scouting film of minor leaguers. It's very easy to stream minor league games on a lot of different forums, especially when you already pay for MLB TV. There's like an easy add-on you can get for that. A lot of footage is very grainy. There's only like a few things you really need to see. Like when you watch a pitcher, you want to just see if they can throw at least two, maybe three pitches at a young age, if they can locate them, have velocity to get on them. And then a big thing, that's all the statistical stuff you want to look at. And then you want to see a pitcher's composure the way he handles himself on a mound, the way he handles himself when things don't go properly, the way he acts when guys are on base, high leverage situations, I feel like that's key. And in hitting, you really just want to look at the way 
Because again, hitting those two weights of scat, like eye test wise and statistical wise, and there's so many stats we have now that you know almost every single thing about a player before he even gets near the major leagues. You have the speed he hits the ball, the speed he runs, the velocity he throws it. And you just really want to see, make sure, me personally, that he has a swing that translates. Because the pitches are going to get faster and the breaks are going to get larger as you get to the major leagues. You want to make sure there's not a lot of herky-jerky motions besides for a guy like Hunter Pence. <laughs> He'll slip through the cracks every five, ten years. And you just want to see that he's smooth and he's fluid and he's projectable. And then kind of go from there and see how they do with the levels they increase with. So how much, how much scouting – so you said you don't really do too much scouting? or The only scouting I do is personally for my own Dynasty Baseball League. <laughs> I love <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. I promise. I'll promise. So what exactly all are you writing about when it's minor league baseball? Is it more like headline topics? Is it – I mean, it's Prospects 365, so I'm assuming you're writing yeah. about these minor leaguers. What exactly it's, it's are you talking about? Just things you know this, man. Like you want – like if something catches your eye and then you kind of dig deeper and find that something that could be real – you get more into it. Like, um, yeah, the Arizona Fall League happens every single year through September, October, and sometimes parts of November, right? I've been there. It's awesome. Really? It's oh, so it's awesome, great. dude. It is so awesome. Amazing. So basically every single year, that's a way that like the top prospects kind of coalesce in the country. And it's kind of a better way to judge them because it really um, gives a higher concentration to the competition. And it's also a place where we have a lot more data than in most minor league ballparks. Like that's where StatCast and TrackMan can bring in things like pitchers RPMs, hitters exit velocities and you can get kind of a better understanding of what happens so just like for an example i gave like a little statistical roundup of things i noticed from watching the arizona fall league this year i highlighted five players who i liked and things i liked about them and what i thought they were going to be like in the future i just said Assad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. that's i mean that's pretty easy that sounds yeah, like awesome. a lot it's of fun just, dude it's just honestly cool like yeah. It's just kind of fun, like, evaluating talent and seeing baseball players. And it just kind of feels good when, like, you pick out a guy from a lineup and, like, four years later, this guy's in the major leagues performing at a high level. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I'm proud of you. Hey, hey, I did that. Yeah. That was me. Yeah. It was me. That was James Shiano <laughs> yeah. right there. That guy, he read my article, and he appreciated what I said. It gave him the motivation and the inspiration he needed that day. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, too funny, man. And then, so, I mean, so you do a lot of uh, – you do some writing for Prospects. How, like, how much writing goes into – writing like how many articles a week are you expected how many um you know is it how much clickbait do you have to throw out there on the line to get people hooked see i'm never gonna throw clickbait out there thank you i hate clickbait so much it's the worst it It gets me i know it's there too it gets me but it is what it is (laughs) these little tabs on the side of google it's like these five prospects gonna be all-stars in two years like i have to read i have to i need to i need to know i'm sure if this was my own like Masterpiece, this is my website, this is my source of income, this is my baby, I would be wanting as many clicks as possible. But just being a member of these blogs and learning about them from the inside, it just make, gives you like a little more freer sense to create the content that you want. And from there, you just, I mean, writing these like, writing these matters, I'm kind of a perfectionist. I'm being a historical writer. I'm a big user of facts and anecdotes and stories, statistics. So I'll probably write, I try to get at least like one or two out maybe like every single week and then just keep, keep it rolling like that. But it takes, takes a while. It honestly does. Cause you want to make sure what you have there is like true. It's verified. There's no discrepancies. And that's honest is the big one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and not just, as you said, you're not just throwing stuff against the wall to see what happens. You're, yeah. you're doing everything that needs to come with it. You, you noticed those certain plays or those players from the fall league. And you decided that, Hey, I think this would make a cool article. So I really like that and how you go about kind of the, 
the uh, the creation process, as we've been talking about a little bit, being a creator, that, I think that's awesome. And that, that particular article was kind of a, a springboard for me because, again, you know, I'm a huge Mets fan. The Mets are my passion. And after that was published, about a day later, um, Michael Mayer, who runs the main editor of the Mets yeah. blog, he actually uh-huh. happened to slide into my DMs. He said, hey, man, I like your style. I see that you're a Mets fan. I would love for you to start writing for Mesmerize once in a while if you felt so inclined, which was a great, that was, that was awesome. Cause I followed yeah. him on Twitter for a very long time. Me too. He produces great content. And I put out my first article for them a few weeks ago, actually, which was a lot of fun before the, uh, the horribleness that came to the yeah. Mets about three weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm gonna have some stuff coming out in there soon. And then Hell yeah. I kind of parlayed that into, do you, are you familiar with the website pitcher list? I'm not. It's like a, it's a probably like the, it's a leader in the fantasy baseball world. And okay. they were having a big expansion this year because I had a very good year last year. And I kind of took a couple of these samples and the fact that I wrote for a couple of these other blogs, I sent in my samples to them. They had a big hiring process this year and I'll be writing for them now debuting this week. Hell yeah, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. So you got a couple different gigs going on. Got to. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, that's the writing industry now, right? Like, as we've seen, like, with Sports Illustrated and everyone pretty much just getting laid off. Um, Never hold your breath. Yeah, and, I mean, Mesmerized, I have been following Mesmerized, I don't even know how long. Like, easy, like, like, six or seven years at this point. It's, like, literally the morning paper. Yeah, yeah, like, that's insane, dude. Congratulations on that. What was the first article you got to write for them? I wrote about, um, basically, I took stock of the Mets bullpen. I looked at two left-handed relievers who I thought they could sign for, like, low cost, low leverage, who had potentially high ceilings. Guys who, and I... uh, I wrote about two guys who've been around the league for a while. Francisco Liriano, mm-hmm. who's been around for a bazillion years. Yeah. And Robbie Erlin, who's just finishing up his first contract with the Padres. And both of them have begrudgingly moved to relief roles as of last year. And I found small critiques and uh, adjustments they could make to turn them into potentially what I, I thought like very high-level relievers. Tell me. I, I'm not familiar with the second gentleman. Obviously, Francisco Liriano, like he's been on right. fantasy teams. He's done yeah. a lot of things for me personally and, and professionally. But, um, <laughs> but like, what, what are, like, give me, my, give me. Godfather of my second son, of course. But. <laughs> he will be uh, when I have that second son. But tell me, uh, like, what, like, uh, give me some insight. Like, what, what exactly, like, Francisco Liriano, just because that's okay. a little bit of an easier name. Tell me, tell me what that process looks like. So basically, I saw he became a full-time reliever last year, and he was an active free agent right now. I look at the statistics from last season. He did okay. He had an ERA in the mid-threes. He was really good at limiting hard contact. He was very bad at striking people out and missing bats. Like, his K rate was below 15%, which is incredibly low for a reliever. And his whiff rate was also below 20%, which is just you, – if, you, if you're a relief pitcher, your goal is to get onto the mound and off it as quickly as possible. And it's not going to happen the more guys put the ball in play. And I dug deeper into his profile and realized he had two pitches that were incredibly good at both striking people out and getting whiffs, his slider and his changeup. But he threw them combined far less than he threw his fastball and his sinker, which were getting routinely hit incredibly hard. So I basically had a bunch of charts and graphs and visualizations that came to the conclusion that a guy like Liriano, and this drew for guys across baseball, it's kind of the revolution happening that he should throw breaking balls a lot more that if he were to redefine his repertoire and kind of focus on the slider and the changeup and be able to throw them for strikes consistently early in the count, he could very, not, I'm not going to say easily, but it's very realistic he could take a step forward and have a whole new, a whole new level that he can take his career with. That's, that's awesome. And that's a really cool way of looking at it. Now, I would then, uh, you know, as, as a skeptic, come back and say, well, you'd think he, people would swing at the changeup and the slider because he throws the fastball so much, right? He's pitching off of his fastball. Of what, would your, what would your rebuttal something like that be? 
my rebuttal to that would be I'm not saying throw out the fastball, but just kind of, of course, increase but... its usage. You 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 can be incredibly successful still throwing the fastball down from forty five percent to say even twenty five percent. And with that you can still throw your strikes. I would say that would even make the fastball more useful afterwards because it would just it would again, like you said, it's all about being able to throw strikes with those two pitches. But just having to, it's much harder to hit a pitch that moves and a pitch that doesn't. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that that is some expert statistics. I understand why you are. Yeah, I can't wait. You're gonna be writing for the Athletic one of these days too. Um, that's really cool, man. And yeah, I, I totally agree. You don't have to pitch off your fastball anymore. I mean, Justin Verlander came out, but then again, I'm. I'm kind of putting everything up in the air with the Astros, so who the heck knows? Yeah, um, don't know anything. yeah. I was to bring up another Astro who made yeah. this very similar adjustment. Ryan Presley, trade okay. form before last season. If you look um, the website Statcast, it kind of has your line graphs of whether how much you throw each pitch, and the slider just shot way up past the fastball this season. It was by far the most effective season of his career. Mm-hmm. So there's just proof in the pudding this stuff works, and I think yeah. a lot more guys, especially relievers, should try it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, especially as you said, you're trying to get in and get out. I mean, the, the goal is, you know, if you can get in under out under 10 pitches, I mean, that's, uh, that's a great inning. Um, and as we saw last year, the Mets bullpen was just God awful. Um, I mean, I thought the familiar deal was terrible. I was right. I thought the Diaz deal was okay. I was wrong. Um, so we'll see, man. I mean, I hope that was just like a really, really bad year. And then, he like I don't know how does that happen? That's insane. There was a lot of bad luck that contributed to what Diaz did. There was also a lot that was his fault. But he he had he had by far the highest meatball rate of his career. And a meatball rate is how often you throw a pitch down the middle of the plate, either high, middle, or low on the middle of the plate, skyrocketed past his career highs. And most of his home runs, no, of course, were given up off of those meatballs. Mm-hmm. So if you you got to think that, again. There's so many things that can happen with a reliever. And I think the biggest one is confidence and the belief that you're the best. So apart from all the mechanics, all the movement, as good as his stuff still is, he has to look inward and believe that he is the guy who he knows he is. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if that can happen or not. Yeah, I don't. We'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously, we both hope so. Um, from just a general baseball perspective i hope so because he was insane two years ago and really good three years ago right so i mean it's it's one of those things where you you obviously we all root for you i want to watch a good baseball game i don't want to watch some reliever come in and give up what how many he gave up the two home runs i think in one game like four i can't remember what it was there was there was enough games that yeah it was bad um you know, maybe we'll say it's a juice ball maybe we'll say he sucks maybe it's a little combination little column a little column b there so yeah I'm with that. Yeah, I'll take that going forward. <laughs> Good stuff, man. So that's that's really cool insight on exactly kind of what you do and, and a little bit how you do it. Now let's let's talk about a good pitcher. Um, I don't know. Let me pull a random name out of hat. Jacob deGrom, let's say. Two-time Cy Young Award winner. Um, what are you looking at when you are – you want to write an article on Jacob deGrom, and only a million articles have been written on him at this point, many of them glowing. What's something that you might be looking at, like with your eye, again, from that factorial, historical kind of context? Like, what are you looking at to try and like make something that Mets, you know, Metsmerize would be like, wow, this is unique and great and, and, you know, everything that we're looking for? I would love, and again, this is a pie in the sky idea, but I would love to talk to Jacob DeGround because he changed the way he pitched a few years ago when he went from good to great. He changed the way his slider moved. It got like a more, it got like a tighter motion. It became a lot faster, and he changed the weight through his fastball. It became harder with more rise. Generally, switching from a two seamer to a four seamer. So I would love to go through like 
go through with him the history and like the series of adjustments that led to the one adjustment that stuck. This is the one we work. It's like, it's kind of like cooking. Like you try a recipe six, seven times. And the last time you do it, you're like, that was the right amount of chili powder. And you have it. That's it. You can never mess with it again. I would love to talk to him and any, really every pitcher, honestly, about what goes into their secret sauce and how they came to the conclusions they came to about the pitches they throw. I, I know a guy who knows Jacob DeGrom relatively well, so we might be able to do something here. That would be pretty darn cool, but you make a great point. I put chili powder in my pasta today, and it was good, not great, and I'm sure there's something I can do to kind of spice it up a little bit. No pun intended, actually. That's funny, um, but no, I, I, I get that, and that, that would be it. I'd read that article. And I, I kind of wish that you'd capture it on video so that I can watch it and then you could rip that audio and then I can listen to it in podcast form as well. So just throwing some ideas out there, man. That'd be great, man. Just gotta um, so then with, with uh, let's, do you want to talk about the Astros or you want to talk about the Mets some more? Let's talk about the Astros. Let's switch yeah, it. Yeah, because the Astros lead to the Mets. I'd love to. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. So the Astros, one thing, I mean, obviously we know everything that's happened with the sign stealing. And I mean, I don't want to belabor that too much. It is ridiculous. Yeah. If they were wearing like buzzers, that's insane. That's, yeah, but one thing that I love about this being in the New York city area, listening to the Michael K show occasionally. And, and, you know, the fan occasionally listening to salty Yankee fans about 2017. I think they would have won too, but you can't just claim that, you know, like I think they would have won, but you can't just be like, they have to strip it because the Yankees were going to win. It's like, you didn't even win the AL CS man. Like wait until we get to the world series. You never know. But what, like, what is, what is your, what's your hot take on all this stuff? My hot take on all this stuff, I have more than one, actually, so I'll, I'll get down. So one hot take, just the fact, I think it was very predominant, the timing of when they released the results of this investigation. The fact that it happened three hours before the college football national championship game. Oh, my God, yeah. was incredibly peculiar. And oh, no, it was brilliant. No one, yeah, well, they kind of just yeah. like, yeah. Burp, well, hey, yeah. look, ESPN's <laughs> not going to care about this for three days. By Perfect. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> the Astros were cheating for years. <laughs> but... That happening, and then Jim Crane immediately canning both of his guys. It seems like, and Jim Crane's a businessman before anything else. We know that. He spent decades at the McKenzie Consulting Firm. The guy's cutthroat. He knows what he's doing. I'm sure he knows how to strike a deal. I'm sure that there was a conversation between him, Rod Manfred, each of their legal teams about what was going to happen, how it was going to happen. Because at the end of the day, losing your first and second round draft picks is pretty serious. With a team like the Astros, who drafts at the end of the first round every single year, that's not that bad. There was no penalty for an international, the international player pool, which is how you develop prospects and create a strong or deep, deep organization these days. And $5 million to the guy is nothing. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That's like you and me getting fined seven bucks. Like, it's mm-hmm. not that. That's like a one less trip. It's okay. I won't put that addition on my mountain house this year. Like, <laughs> Rounding really, error in his, uh, yeah. in his accounting book this year. Exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You, you make a good point. I mean, first and, I mean, first and second two years in a row, that – that will do something to your farm yeah, system. No, no, of course, it'll do something. You'll yeah. get a shot at a guy who has a better chance of being better. But the way the Astros develop players, like a lot of the guys in the team, these aren't first, second round picks. They have a machine working inside the organization that turns very average prospects, takes the thing they do best, and makes them great. Losing a first, second round pick isn't, it's just not going to be the end of the world for them. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it, I know one thing that everyone was shouting for was to try and make sure it hurt them for the 2020 season. So that way they could lose, they, they can't win as many games. Um, but Which there's only. This hurt them. Losing their manager and general oh, manager. Oh, absolutely. A month before pitching the catchers will absolutely hurt. And I think Hinch was on the better end of managers. I think Loon Howe was the cream of the crop of general managers. 
I think we'll probably see one, if not both of them reserves at some point in the future, being a special consultant to the traveling secretary or something, but it definitely is going to hurt them this year. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a great point. Losing your manager, obviously. I mean, AJ Hinch knew all those guys. He's been there for, I think, five years at this point. So the dude knew what he was doing. Um, but I mean, well, the way with baseball managers now, it's, it's the front office that tells you everything, exactly. right? So like, it's, can you find someone that connects to players? That's, I mean, going to the Mets. I mean, look, they, they hired their, you know, their quality control coach or whatever, because he had a great relationship with the players. The front office right. is going to tell them what to do anyway. Um, so I mean, like, one more comment about the Astros. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolute switch to the Mets. It's another big thing. They fired the general manager. And if people have already forgetting, because the third most important scandal this offseason for the Astros, but back in October, they had to fire their assistant general manager. After that horrible situation, that horrible, despicable thing he said to the woman reporter after the Yankee game. So they're down one and two of their front office personnel, which even for a team with probably as deep a front office as we can imagine with the Astros, they do things with their analytics department and their business staff that we, the rest of LMB and the rest of the world well, not, doesn't even understand yet. But still very important that now they're down to the top two guys instead of the top one. That's a great point. That is a great point. Yeah, that guy, um, I'm, I'm going to throw the word scumbag uh, yeah. out there. I, so I, I apologize to anyone listening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that guy's a bad person. And really that's, bad person. Yeah, and that's, but again, you're smart. It, again, he'll probably resurface. He'll be, he'll be it's, back exactly. He, he almost is lucky that that happened to him because he was now not named in any of these cheating reports. And he'll be able to resurface scot free, which is honestly really messed up. It, it is. Um, but I mean, like, you just equate it to football. Like, you know, if you can play, you're going to play, right? Like, if you're, if you're good enough, the talent's there, someone's going to take a chance. I mean, Antonio Brown, all this stuff's coming about him. Guy's clearly unhinged, and it finally 100%. took like 18 different things for people to be like, you know what, maybe we shouldn't have him being in the NFL anymore. Another it's ridiculous. similar analogy to this is the Kareem Hunt situation. Kareem Hunt was a third-round pick by the Chiefs, locked into a four-year contract making no money. He was cut before his second year of his, uh, the second year of his contract was up. He got to sign a one-year deal, and this year he's going to be an unrestricted free agent coming off an incredibly impressive last, I think it was six games, he spent it for 10 with the Browns. He's going to cash in. He's going to be the, one of the youngest running backs to hit the open market in recent memory. Uber talented, and it's all because – he was released from his team after domestic disputes. Really, it's really horrible. Yeah, it's and it, and it's you know it's like um the the team that releases him, everyone says kudos, but yeah. then there's the other thirty one <laughs> teams that now it's pretty much open market. Like any yeah, of you guys yeah, can yeah. pick him up, and it's just like oh, it's a second chance. It's mm-hmm. like what? Like it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, absolutely. That, ridiculous. That's that's football. We don't yeah, we don't no, need to talk yeah. about football, James. That's we'll talk about part. baseball because yeah. we both love baseball so much. Yeah. Um, so with the Astros, obviously with the Red Sox and everything that's going on, um, how do you think? Just because we're Mets fans, do you think Carlos Beltran maybe did some stuff when he was with the Yankees at all? I don't know. Maybe I I really think that he might have, and I have a um. I kind of I was writing the writing article I was writing yesterday. It's kind of debut pitcher list this Friday, the twenty fourth. I talked about DJ LeMahieu briefly. I was talking about some of the reasons for his power resurgence last year. And DJ LeMahieu last year again, this is gonna be a real deep deep dive of stat. His swing percentage at breaking balls inside the zone increased by ten percent, and his overall whiff percentage against breaking balls in general did not increase or decrease at all. And his slugging percentage against breaking balls went up over hundred points. So for some reason, when they were breaking balls inside the zone, DJ LeMahieu was really, really good at hitting them. I'm going to leave it at that. I don't know. I don't know anything else that could happen from that. That's awesome. Really good at it. That is – see, and this is why I love baseball because we know everything. 
everything. He's 31 years old. That's not how baseball works, man. We all know that. And there was a juice baseball, but for some reason last year, he had a power surge against breaking balls like nothing that's ever even close to happening in his career. And he was in Colorado, which exactly the, the air was juiced there yeah. so again, yankee stadium is not the polo grounds you oh absolutely <laughs> great <laughs> reference yes absolutely oh man remember when the mets i think every year the mets play in yankee stadium and like one of those games they score 10 runs have like eight home runs or whatever it is and i'm always just like why can't why can't we have this why can't we have nice things james yeah. we never can that's what and we, we never can that's just again we're in the trenches we're there together band of brothers let's get it um <laughs> So then, yeah, let's talk about the Mets a little bit. So the Astros, a little bit of a fallout. Some dumb people did some – oh, wait, no, I want to go back to the Astros for a second. So okay. they're pitchers. So they're hitters. We know – okay, we kind of understand. I think they're great and they're talented, but we kind of know what's going on. They were stealing signs, yada, yada, yada. Okay. How can they take Charlie Morton and turn him into a perennial all-star, almost a Cy Young winner? Garrett Cole, always good. He had, like, one phenomenal year, always good. All of a sudden, he's the greatest pitcher on planet Earth. Justin Verlander on the – brink of death and mr kate upton may i say um i love justin verlander but what's going on man like that's insane that they can just take pretty much anybody and be like uh here you go throw your curveball more it's like well why doesn't everybody do that what's going on man i don't get it that's that's the the basis of this question why doesn't everybody do that and i want to say one thing all those guys are eerily quiet about all the stuff going on that's one point did you see the article that came out today about what uh the astros uh, where ga- they gained immunity. They didn't have to talk. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. Article. yeah. 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 Tremendous. So that's why they're quiet. They don't have to talk. But again, I th- and then they, they basically use a technicality, just pin it all on the staff, which I mean, the Major League Baseball's Players Association is the strongest in all sports, which is not saying much, but it is. And they knew that also there's no uniform way to suspend these guys. Like that article used the Marwin Gonzalez uh, reference. Like, how can you suspend a guy and hurt another team's chances just because they signed him after his cheating scan? Like, that's messed up. It's not fair to the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. It's weird. But Charlie Morton's one of my favorite success stories, like, in the history of baseball. I love that guy from the time he was on the Pirates, like, pumping 93 with sink. And they were like, wow, this guy's good stuff. Why can't he figure it out? They literally just told him to move his fingers from here, like, to here. And that created a four-seam action. To, to like throw it way harder. We're going to make you throw way less innings, way less pitches. We really don't care if you throw 120 pitches, go seven innings. Just get out there and pump them. And that's exactly what he did. That rising four-seam fastball that would play off his 12-6. There's, there's no better pitch combination in baseball than those two. And they just like, these are your best two. Throw them as much as you possibly can. He was like, that's a fantastic idea. I'm going to do that and make more money than I ever imagined. Yep, and then sign the biggest uh, free agent uh, contract in Tampa Bay Rays history. Look at that. Yeah, um, it's and like I, two years, 40 million. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, something <laughs> ridiculous. But I think last year, he was like something like 15% of their entire uh, salary. Um, um, I'm looking for the word. Requirement? Nah. Uh, payroll. Payroll, whatever. Yeah, yeah like, whatever. Salary cap. Yep, yep. And it's, it's insane. He's, I mean, it's good, but like my question to you is how do we know they're not doing something with pitchers too? Like, obviously he moves somewhere else and gets, and he stays good. Like, again, he was top five and I think top three, maybe even for, for Cy Young in the AL. Um, but like, he was third actually, because I think it was Cole, yeah, Cole, which everyone was first, and Morton was third. And it was like, yeah. three Astros again. But like, again, like how, so we know their, their hitters were doing something the whole time. How do we know their pitchers? Are I mean, staying clean pretty, too. We, we kind of know they are, and we also kind of know every baseball team is. If you ever listen to one of my one of my favorite baseball players, Trevor Bauer, mm-hmm. has goo. every team has and produces their own goo as discreetly or not discreetly as possible. They get it on their gloves, get it on their hats, get it on their back pockets, and they use it to generate more RPMs with the balls they throw. 
and they might just have the best one. Like, but at the end of the day, like, I think it, there's, I don't know, there's real randomness about it, but they they have the best player development staff. They have the best scouting team. They have the best analytics department. I'm sure they would develop the best goo. The I mean, it's that easy. They yeah, love goo yeah. and they're great at it. Um, <laughs> that is, that is pretty awesome. And yeah, I mean, I, so I, same thing. Like I, the the Tampa Bay Rays to me are just the super cheap, super not expensive Houston Astros. Like that's all it is. Like they have no money that and they so more are con- I totally agree. Everything they do. It's, it's amazing. And I love watching them play. I mean, it's kind of boring because there's zero crowd there. So there's no yeah. noise and yada, yada, but like, it's, it's so much fun watching. And oh, when the Mets the had the opportunity to hire Heim Bloom oh, instead of Brody Van Wagenen, oh, I was like, dude, they have to do it. Just think like, what if you gave a Tampa Bay Rays executive four times the amount of salary that he could work with? What do you think he could do at that point? And now exactly he's going to do exactly it. Exactly what Andrew Freeman did for the Dodgers. Yep. <laughs> and exactly. Every single year. Let's see what, the, what uh, Farhan Zahidi does with the Giants. Same thing. And like now let's see what Haim does with the Red Sox. Like it's all the same thing. And it's so frustrating that we got Brody Van Wagenen. Dude, Haim Bloom is everything I strive to be in the world. Haim Bloom was, I think he went to either Yale or Brown. He yeah, he went to in, one of them. In the classics. That was his major. And he learned statistical analysis on the side. He he got his first article published by Baseball Prospectus in the 90s. He wrote a statistical analysis of whether Alex Rodriguez's potential contract would be worth it before he was ever a free agent in like 2001. Whoa. He, from there, took an internship with the Rays his second year out of college for almost no money and literally worked his way up in that organization to become the president of baseball operations. He published a booklet detailing what the rate what he wanted the Rays player development system to look like called the Rays way which you cannot get online because oh, i've tried i was just about to ask i have looked far and wide high and low it's nowhere but he is the epitome of what the people in my industry i think want because you want to sh- prove to an organization to a team that you have a brain that can help this team become better and that's really all this is all about and he took it the highest level he went he got he got back up to his boyhood favorite team, the Red Sox. He's going to bring them back from the depths. That's so awesome, man. One of the founder rosters in baseball. But he, I was going to say, yeah, back yeah. from 90 wins. Oh, no, anything but that. Back from his owners wanting to shed money. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. But, yeah, I mean, I was so pissed when the Mets didn't hire him. Because so I know, mad, they, I mean, New York media sucks. So everyone's like, oh, it's, you're going to be pretty much throwing a white flag, yada, yada. Like, oh, you don't want to spend money. Like, no, it just means you're going to spend money so much better than yeah. giving, you know, Jed Lowry a two-year, $20 million contract. A very obviously bad contract. Paying the back half of Robinson Cano's uh, contract is Twilight Years. $25 yeah. million a season. Twilight Years, dude. It's been yeah. dusk. It's already dusk, man. You can't see anymore. Oh, goodness. But uh, it is what it is. But yeah, I, I love him watching what he does. I always, I mean, I'm not a Red Sox fan. I actually hate the Red Sox. I just hate them less than I hate the Yankees. <laughs> so I pretty much root for them until the Yankees are out. So I, it's I've just always liked the Red Sox. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. Same thing, but they've gotten kind of pompous. I also hate Boston now with all the title town BS and I get, I got over that pretty quickly. Um, Mostly it's actually, you know, that picture that goes around is that 16 year old kid that has a sign. It's like 16 years old, like 14 titles, man. Shut up, dude. I hope you, I hope you just have this drought in your life where from like 16 to death, you don't get anything. And I hope he lives a very long life. I want him to live to a hundred, man. That would be awesome. Happy life, kids, but, good for career, but I really hope he gets stuff in the locker tomorrow. Not. <laughs> that would be great. I don't know his name, and I think you said it, but don't say it just, just in case. No, no, it was, it's kind of a joke that's been going on the oh, it is? since his first thing. Patrick Gillicuddy. He was given to him by one of the Barstool personalities, and he's ran with it since. 
Love it. Yeah. yeah. We're, hate not, him. we're not doxing anybody here. Yeah, good, good, good. Good, good, good. I don't want to do that. I want to keep everybody where they are. Um, so I wanted. So we talked about the Mets. We talked about a little bit about minor league baseball. We talked about writing Ohio State for a minute. Um, let's go back to my before we get to fantasy because that's going to be where I think we have the most fun. Uh, minor league baseball again with with have, having with getting to pay attention to it a little bit more than you know your average fan. Obviously, I know some of the Mets prospects, not all of them. I kind of know what's going on. I know what Jared Kolechnik is doing out in Seattle and just kind of. You know, Dunn, uh, what's his favorite? Uh, what Dunn? Um, what, Justin Dunn. Justin Dunn, thank you. What he's doing out in Seattle. You know, I pay attention to them and then the Mets mm-hmm. protest. Um, but, like, what with the whole minor league system potentially going to get thrown up onto his head, mm-hmm. I mean, you're a little closer to the situation. You might be paying attention mm-hmm. a little bit more. What is headlines and what is actually real that may be happening? I think whenever you see a statistical projection that isn't numbers-based, it's headlines. It's clickbait. It's trying to get you to do something. Whenever you see anything like anything with like a thumbnail with exclamation points, it is a clickbait. You shouldn't probably shouldn't click on it and read it. You can read it, but don't take it as like don't take it as everything needs to be in the world. I think everything that happens in the prospect world should be taken with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Because as what happens with prospects in every single sport, especially baseball, there's such a high level of variance at every single level. It's like for every single Ronald Acuna, like there's a lasting's millage. And you have to understand that when you're evaluating these kids. Yeah, no. Lasting's millage. Oh, man. Taking me back, man. Oh, that's great. He came up and hit two home runs. We were like, all-star, superstar. Print the jerseys. That's Mets fans, though. I mean. Every fan base has their guys like that. Like, um, I mean, I remember when Alex Gordon came up with the Royals. He was like the best thing since sliced bread. And he had bad season, bad season, bad season. Got sent back down to the minors. People completely wrote the guy off. And suddenly he has a great 10-year career. A guy like Brian Buxton reminds me of that too. Buxton was supposed to be a superstar, the best to ever do it. Ken Griffey Jr., the second coming. And he was just not that good. And people have completely written him off. And now he sits here, 26 years old. He's made incredible gains in his, in his game. And he's going to be probably an all-star for years to come. And everyone kind of just forgot about him because mm-hmm. he's not the hot thing anymore. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. The problem with prospects go there. And the way it's, people like, interact with prospects is just, ah. It, exactly it's it's all it's a lot of hype it's as you said a lot of projection and a lot of just kind of a lot of hope us as Mets yeah. fans that's all we're looking for is hope I mean yeah. look at what was it uh, two three years ago Glaber Torres was the number two prospect or the number one prospect um Ahmed Rosario was the number one prospect or the number two prospect well I mean yeah. it's quite clear who's better I don't mind Ahmed Rosario but he's I, he was supposed to be a defensive wizard and he has more errors yeah. than you know, anybody I can think of off the top of my head. That's another He can't hit the ball. Yeah. He started to be able to figure out how to hit singles this year, which is cool, and a couple yeah. doubles. But, I mean, Glaber Torres almost <laughs> hit 40 home runs, if I'm not mistaken, or he did hit 40 home runs. Like, I still, I still what are we I, watching? I, I do like – I like him too, but, like, what are, what are we watching here? That's the point I'm trying to make. Like, we, these people come through the minor leagues, and it's like, who is evaluating this talent? Who could possibly watch anything Ahmed Rosario ever did and been like, he's an elite fielder? No. He's just 6'4", Dominican, and very fast. You think he's an elite fielder. It's the same thing Conforto was coming up. People are like, guy's got a great bat, but man, he looks lost in left field. He's a fantastic left yeah. fielder. He's really above average. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. Like, these people just kind of like see a player, and this is the old way of scouting, which is kind of being, I feel like, move, moving away from that. But just like you see a player, you create a profile, you look at the guy's face, which is a phrase they use in Moneyball, where the guy's a good face, which is the, like a way they use to characterize the way scouting is done, baseball guys. But I think people just kind of harp on like the general generalizations we give players, and they just kind of go from there. And once you have a grade, like you said before, these grades are antiquated as hell. Like you just, there's nothing behind them sometimes. 
and you keep a grade, they'll never even change it. If this was your grade when you were 17, now you're 21 years old entering the major leagues, you're a completely different ball player. You're a completely different person. Like, it's crazy. Bigger, stronger, faster, the whole thing, man. I mean, never forget, Mike Trout was sent back down. I sure was. Mike Trout was sent back down. Uh, I don't know. His, his career turned out pretty well. So, no, I love it, man. That's, that's some good stuff. And um, it's definitely interesting. So, that was not the intention of my question. I asked it very, very poorly, but that was a little fun thing that we did, and I'm, I'm all for it. So, the, the intention of my original question about minor league baseball was with the, the system itself, with the potential slashing of the teams and taking that down. Again, you're a little bit closer with, with paying attention to that. I assume I could be totally wrong. In your opinion, what does it look like and what is the system going to change? Is it guaranteed changes? We don't know what it looks like, or is it, you know, 45 teams are just going to be gone and we're just consolidating everything? It seems to be almost a sure thing this is going to change dramatically. And of course, this proposal was done by everybody's best friend and baseball confidant, Jim Crane, the former McKinsey huh. rep. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the big writer behind this thing. And really, I did not know that. From a business perspective, it's really smart because most of these teams don't really generate much revenue. So at the end of the day, if you can consolidate these minor league teams, most of the teams are generating much revenue. Most of these players will never sniff the major leagues. So if you can consolidate the team, like every team's minor league system, into the ones that just produce money and just consolidate the players into the ones that have a chance of reaching the major leagues, perceived chance of making the major leagues, you're cutting fat, which is what a businessman like Jim Crane wants to do. So the, and the idea behind it is that they're going to cut like 40% of the minor league players from every single team, along with the teams. So that's 40% less dreams that we can be fulfilled. The draft is going to be cut dramatically. And what they're going to do, they're cutting all of the short season minor league teams. Like, you know how they have the leagues that go like June to about September? Mm-hmm. Those are for the guys who come in through the draft and the undrafted player pool after that, not the international player pool, it's a little different. And they play half a season because they're drafted in June. They'll start playing end of June. And then they play that first season. They got to get placed by their team. The new system says that the draft's going to happen at the end of the year in August now. And when a player gets drafted, he's already going to have missed that minor league season. You're going to go to every single team's own individual player development academy where they're going to hook you up to a bunch of wires and a bunch of machines, and they're going to get your, the whole torque of your hips, the RPMs of all your pitches, your bat speed, your vi- like track your vision, your sprint speed, every single thing, put you in a spreadsheet, tell you where to go and tell you the seven things to improve on to get to the major leagues, which is really kind of the future of baseball, the way the analytics movement has yeah. gone. We're just streamlining. And that's the way it's going to be, which is sad because there's a lot of people in a lot of places who are probably never going to see a live baseball game again. And a lot of kids who are never even going to have a chance to realize their dreams or even try to make them happen. There's a lot of guys like Mike Piazza and Paul Goldschmidt who were drafted very late in the draft. Who, those, those guys are going to have less chances to make it, which sucks, but the teams are going to save money and the owners are going to profit more, which is the only thing that seems to matter. And, the, and, and now that you say Jim Crane came up with that, uh, yeah. again, someone yeah. with that mm-hmm. system, they don't even believe in real people scouting at this not. point. So, yeah. I mean, like, that's not surprising. They that don't even treat their employees like actual human beings. That, that's also a, a pretty good point. Um, what they're kind of doing to these people. Like, these players now are just going to be like cyborgs. Just yeah. do, and, do these things well and you'll make the majors. And, and considering the sport itself isn't doing, I mean, it's okay. It's doing well. Like let's not like sit oh, here no, and say baseball is failing or anything, but yeah, yeah, like- especially in these smaller towns that have these minor league teams, it's, it's very, I don't like going to Mets games, honestly. Like, I don't want to go all the way to Queens. I live here in New Jersey. I don't want to take a train to Penn station then take an LIRR out to Willits point 
and then pay a hundred or whatever dollars for a ticket, go to Shake Shack and stand in line for three innings, which is worth it. It's the best Shake Shack yeah, on planet Earth. Yeah. If anyone gets a chance and you're in City Field, screw the game. Just wait for the Shake Shack. It's the yeah. best Shake Shack hands down. Um, but it's not worth it, man. I mean, like, and then I need to like. I don't really want to leave now that baseball games are three and a half, four hours long. I don't want to leave at 11 o'clock and get home at like two, three no in the way, morning. When you're looking at the train schedule, you're like, oh, if I say till the end of the ninth inning, yep. there'll be more people traffic, and then I have to make sure I get the NJ Transit back, and the last one is 1247. Oh my God. Yep. It's, just, it, it's, it's insane, and it's not worth it. Um, but that's just saying, like, there's a lot of these places that have these minor league teams that obviously, as we found out they're probably not making a boatload of money but at the same time it's still it's still fun and that's a very easy way to grow the game i am very confident that that short season team is not burning a hole in michigan absolutely like, not come on man like there's, maybe you gone there's a league like the appalachian league which is it's a very historical league it's been around for almost 100 years it's going to be completely wiped away there's the people in appalachia it's a very low-income community it's poverty stricken and these people are never going to be able to really see a baseball game again, most of them. It's crazy. There's another league that's like takes place in the Northwest, like in the Montana, Wyoming region. Those people are never going to see a baseball game again. They have to go hundreds of miles to venture to get to a baseball stadium now instead of possibly 20 to 50 miles away. And it's just sad for those people because the minor league baseball is a really affordable way for fans to attend games and bring their kids and then grow the game. And mm-hmm. baseball doesn't, either doesn't see that or just, which is the worst part, doesn't really care about it. Yeah, I think it's they don't care about it, honestly, um, which is sad. Again, the baseball needs to grow its young base. I mean, what's the average baseball fan? They're like a 50-year-old white dude. Like, okay, that's not, you know, right now that's okay. In the movie 1917, it was them. <laughs> they got out of the trenches finally, good for them. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you need to start engaging a younger audience and bringing people tears. I tell all my friends, like, even if you don't like baseball, go to a baseball game. Like, have a 100%. beer, have a hot dog. You're awesome. just hanging out, BSing, Delicious. watching yeah. stuff happen. Oh, there's a home run. Cool. Okay. We're just hanging out. We're having a good time. Like, there's nothing like it on a nice summer day, man. There's nothing, nothing like it. it. Um, but like you can't, like, you're going to take kids out of any opportunity in many of these places to go see a game, or you're going to have a more expensive, uh, a more expensive option nearby or a little bit further away. Like the chances that these kids are going to care about baseball when they get older is it's not going to happen. Man. And it's of course, and sad. bring this full circle to where this conversation began. Like the whole reason me personally being a bit like I'm like, a baseball aficionado now, like I love it because I saw it when I was really young. Like it's something that stuck with me, like it helped forge relationships with like me and my father, me and many of my closest friends because of baseball, the less exposure you have to the game, the less chance you are to like it, the less chance you have to enjoy it. And, as you get older, it's just, it's simple. Yep. And it's, it takes a while. Like I always liked baseball, but it took a while to like, I could really see and understand everything that was going on. Right. Like, okay, it's, it's one, two, he just threw him a slider down and away. He didn't swing. All right. Well, what's he going to throw this time? It's the game within the game. And it's like, uh, my one very a good friend of mine, he made this analogy and it's perfect. It's your two teams playing chess against each other. And you can make the right move and it can go horribly wrong. Yeah. You know, you can, you can put your pawn or your queen or your rook in the right spot, but Mike Trout still might just go down on one knee and crush that thing out of the park. Like that happens. And it's, that's why it's so cool because it is, it's live chess where just because you did the right thing doesn't mean it's going to turn out right every single time. And I, I love that about baseball. It's like, it's mathematic chaos. Every single thing in baseball is equ- like equated and solved to the nth degree of every single little tiny thing that possibly happen. And then there's just a bloop that falls behind the second baseman for no yep. good reason. Like mm-hmm. every single stat that you had said that should never be a hit ever in the whole world be a hit. 
like that was a great curveball in a great spot. The guy got a bad swing on, and he got under the ball, went up in the air at an angle, the guy should have caught it, and just something happened. And, and Derek Jeter's stupid inside-out swing, he just roasts, but yeah. man, did it work constantly, and it's not supposed to. But best hey, it did. Best, best congratulations. Of all time. It was incredible. Oh no, dude. I mean, I agree, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to no, put my no, name behind no, that. No. He's incredible. You know, shout out to him. I, I want to know who that voter is. Just, I, I kind of want to just like, I want to send him an edible arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> Again, being here in New York city and hearing everybody, that's kind of my favorite part about it. Yeah, um, but it is, it is insane. I mean, he's obviously, I mean, who cares, right? Mariano Rivera deserved it. Uh, right here. I'm kind of okay. He didn't get it. It's fine yeah, with me. I'm pretty, pretty, Okay. <laughs> I mean, if if Babe Ruth, if Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, if Willie Mays, Hank Griffey, like, like, Garrick, these guys get 100, and Mariano Rivera, a position that didn't even exist when we started baseball, gets 100. percent It doesn't make any sense to me. It really does. I don't know why he's the one everyone agreed on. This is going to be the guy. You know I, I mean, mean? I he would have made more sense being the first one, honestly. Yes, I agree. Um, but just considering everybody that has not gotten 100. percent I know it's like really stupid and just like, it's, I was trying to explain this to my girlfriend last night. She's like, wait, what do you mean? I'm just like, well, they just don't want them to have a hundred percent. It's like, wait, what, what do you mean? I was like, it's just Is like this, this whole grade? thing. Like they just like, yeah, it's like kind of like, they're just like, no, like 99% enough. Like you can't have everybody no think you're the best. So like it makes no Tom sense. Seaver, Greg Maddox, like, Steve right? Yeah. None of these guys got hundred percent. So ridiculous. it is what it is, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm okay with it. Larry Walker, did you see him in a SpongeBob shirt? That made me laugh. That, that brought me back. Did you? Sorry, say again. I might did, did you? Laugh at the oh. <laughs> <laughs> did you see Larry Walker in his SpongeBob shirt? I did. That was very funny. Fantastic. And I absolutely loved it. I think the Larry Walker Hall of Fame vote says a lot to where like baseball media has gone. Because I don't think a guy like Larry Walker gets in the Hall of Fame 30, 40 years ago. He had an obscure career in an obscure place, and he had a ward against him that was really – Fugazi kind of like if he played in course field it was easier to hit there Ooh. there was like a, a million twitter campaigns run there like this guy has incredible statistics get him in the hall of fame i think it's something we're going to see as the years progress now more people have a voice that we're going to see these campaigns happen more and be more successful at the end of the day which is cool more guys get in the hall of fame is cool i'm i'm cool with it especially if you're deserving you know like i think larry walker is deserving i think the the, totally the first one when tim raines was uh yeah. sent in you know ryan spader ace of spader if you guys don't follow him he's an incredible incredible follow great book to you by him um you know he kind of he kind of i don't want to say he championed it but i feel like what, from what i remember was he was kind of the first person that was like Yo, check out Tim Raines' statistics. He's insane. Like, let's look at this a little bit more and see that he's very, very deserving of the Hall of Fame. Dude, Foolish Baseball is the one who was banging the Larry Walker drum for a very long time. He made videos. He put out graphics, like everything, over and over again. It did. I think it really was a huge piece of him getting in, which is great. That's perfect. I'm for it. I mean, I'd, I'm cool with it. I like DJ Puts is getting in the uh, the yeah. uh, Hall of Fame anytime soon, considering you, you know it. that great deal. Omar Mariah, thanks. Um, One of the best goatees in the history of the Mets. Okay, deal. I'll give you that. What about Jason Bay? Do you want to talk about Jason Bay? No, I don't want to talk about Jason Bay. Let's talk about fantasy baseball. We've been talking for an hour, and honestly, this has been an absolute blast. So I hope you're okay with maybe talking for a couple more minutes because now we get to the fun part of the conversation, and that's fantasy baseball. Um, so first off, again, going back to the Astros, I had this conversation. So I'm a huge fantasy baseball fan. Uh, I've been playing fantasy baseball for, uh, I don't know, like 10-ish years now, probably a little bit longer. Um, I have won a lot of fantasy baseball championships. 
Um, and I lost this year and I was, I was pissed off when I lost this year because I should not have lost. Um, so that's, that's the whole thing. But with, uh, I was talking to my cousin, he's been in the league for a very long time. He finally won the first time this past year. He beat me and then went on to beat the next two people. So I would have won, which makes me again, a little bit saltier, but, um, no, I, I checked, I had, I was setting my lineup to make sure I knew I would have won. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> that's the story about fancy sports, knowing you would have won, even though you didn't win. Exactly. That's... If you're not doing that, you don't really love the game. Exactly. Thank you. CJ. Mr. Chiana, we are on the same spot. Um, with that, we had a conversation about mm-hmm. the Astros. Mm-hmm. And where are you thinking about drafting some of like the Alex Bregman? Say you're not in your dynasty league, which I am yeah. super jealous of. Yeah. Say you're in just a normal, like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna draft you know, first round down, you know, the Alex Bregman, mm-hmm. the Jose Altuves, the Carlos Correa's, George Springer. Where are you paying attention to those guys? with kind of the understanding that, hey, maybe they weren't, you know, exactly yeah. as advertised at home. Yeah. I think there's a real dichotomy in the way you have to look at these players. More so the ones who are lower on level. Like, I think Bregman is still an elite baseball player, superstar. His profile means I, I don't think he'll really suffer. And especially if you look at his home road splits, he was as good, if not better, on the road. So him – Keep them. Keep them behind your draft boards. But then as you go down the list, the Springer – again, Altuve, I'm kind of on the fence on having looked at his home road splits. So I won't make it a um, – I can't assess that. But guys like Yuli Gurriel, even Springer, um, a guy like Josh Reddick, like these are the guys I don't think you'd be able to trust in the same way that you've trusted them in the past, fantasy terms. Even a guy like Brantley, who came to the Astros last year and redefined his profile as a hitter, suddenly was like a, in contention for the batting title, smacking doubles left and right, like – where, what, how, why? This is he was, he was good in Cleveland, but then he was just he was hurt. Very good. Exactly. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, he was never he that good. It again. And even Yuli Gurriel last year, again, the gopher ball is one thing, but he had like 30, I think he's 35 maybe, off the charts power surge for a season. And these Astros, a lot of them had very good statistics against breaking balls, which is really rare in Major League Baseball. Because as we said before, it's much harder to hit a pitch that moves than one that moves straight. So I think those are the kind of stats you have to look at and cherry pick in your draft prep to see if these guys just still remain high on your boards. I love it. That's the insight that I'm looking for, James. That is the insight that I'm looking for. You're back. Okay. You froze on me for a second, but you're back. Thank God. Yeah. Um, so what else? Like who, who are you? I mean, don't give away everything of course, cause we want people to read all your articles, but maybe, yeah. you know, who are you looking at that may, you know, like Pete Alonzo, I got him in the yeah. shoot. 15th, 16th round and I actually think I picked them early because I had the Met fans in the draft with me like where are yeah. some of the like the thing I build my teams on are those late round like huge upside guys I picked Chris Paddock up my last pick draft um Alonzo uh you know I, I picked uh Chris Bryant the year he won rookie of the year I had Buster Posey the year he won MVP like just get these guys way late but there's huge upside. So who are you looking at that maybe made like giant strides last year that you're going to see people way overdraft this year? Overdraft in a good way or a bad way? Uh, in a bit, like someone, you know, are you going to take Pete Alonso in the first round? Do you think no, he's hitting 50 home runs again? Someone's going to, you know yeah, what I mean? Like that will, kind of, that kind of the, yeah. He probably never repeat what he did last year, which is sad, but true. And he's going to get overdrafted. A guy like, even a guy like Cole will probably never be able to replicate what he's done in the last two years, especially moving to a place like Yankee Stadium. Um, who else drafted that highly? I think people are going to be really busting the bank drafting Shohei Otani this year. And I think Shohei Otani is one of the best players in baseball. And I say that with complete honesty, but it's really hard 
to gauge his value from a fantasy perspective because especially if you play with a weekly lineup, there's no way to tell how many games he's going to hit, if he's going to pitch. It's really hard. Daily lineup, show at times, probably worth a high-round pick because you know that day, but it's not worth like a third, fourth-round selection. And then this year, you're going to see a lot of the prospects get overdrafted like every year. Luis Robert coming up for the White Sox. He signed his mm-hmm. contract similar to Eloy Jimenez last year where he's going to have to start the season with the big club, rumored, still not official yet. But this is a guy who, as much power and speed as he has, was striking out over 25% of the time in the minors. The guy just doesn't have the bat-to-ball skills that you need to, su- to sustain success at the major league level. And there's, like, random projections coming out for him. Luis Robert saying about 30-30. This guy's going to the top of the line. This guy's an MVP candidate already. And I just don't see it. I think people are really going to go over the top. That's interesting. I, I saw he wrote, uh, I saw he signed that contract and shout out to him, man. Good, good for him for getting some money, like well-deserved. I'm all for it. Oh, yeah. Um, but every, like every mile leader. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you at this point, if they're going to hand you, I mean, I know Eloy Jimenez was a 50 million over like six within a couple of player options. I mean, look at Acuna, yeah. you know, they said Acuna, like Mike, he would have dwarfed Mike Strout's, you know, 12 for four twenty-five. but the guy was like, I don't, <laughs> at some point and i'm not here to put my hand in someone else's pocket but at some point it's diminishing returns right like what if you get hurt what if you know ken griffey jr he got hurt man and then it kind of all went downhill when he went to cincinnati and unfortunately that, that was a big aspect of the ozzy albies contract from last year that got ridiculed across sports for good reason he yeah that one was yeah but he did i'm pretty sure without an agent which i would never advertise anybody to do even though richard sherman's banging his drum from the mountaintop that this is the best thing to do don't listen yeah. But he had a very bad shoulder injury when he was still in the lower minor leagues. It was similar to Conforto where he just had a swing and something popped. And he was unsure if he would ever regain the form he had. And he takes care of two members of his family, maybe his brother and sister, maybe a child, I don't exactly remember. So when someone offers you a life-changing amount of money, generations of wealth, to do the thing you love and never be bothered by it almost again, it's really hard to say no to that. Especially the way that MOB handles their arbitration process where you have, to come, you have to submit a number with a lawyer against your team with a lawyer. If you guys can't settle, you have the risk of going to court to argue in front of an arbitrator against your team and your players. So this is, these are things that really can horribly affect a mental, uh, a mental capacity of a guy. I remember Patances was very affected by the fact that the Yankees and Randy Levine were ridiculing him for a full day in court and it affected his performance. Especially for a lot of these foreign players like Albies. I'm pretty sure he's from Curacao. I'm not positive on that. A lot of guys want to go home in the offseason and spend their time there. You don't want to spend your time shuffling back to America, putting on a suit, dealing with lawyers. Like, that's expenses. That's stress. That's trouble. Like, you sign this contract, deal with it, done. Let's just play baseball, which I think, is a, I think is a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I know it was worth like $40 million, if I'm not mistaken. How long was, was it? How long is the contract? Like seven or eight years. Whoa. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah, signed away a lot of, he signed away a lot of his prime. He's not going to hit free agency until after he turns 30. But as you said, I mean, shoot, like you have $35 million. Yeah, Granted, saying, you like, get half of it. Let's say the government know, takes course. it. But I mean, that's, as you said, so much more, but that's generational. That yeah. And then the one that confused me too, Aaron Nola. What the heck was that? I think a lot of these guys last year kind of got jumpy with like potential collective bargaining dispute that's going to go down. And while a lot of them wanted guaranteed money up front, because MLB's pay structure is ridiculous. For your first three years of your career in the majors, you get so little money that if you, if, if you can cancel out some of those years in exchange for a, a year or two hitting, later hitting the free agent market, you just have to take it. Like, if, you're gonna, if you could get $5 million right now, 
instead of potentially getting an extra $30 million later, it's kind of hard to make that decision when you're, especially when you're a pitcher, anything go wrong at any given time. Mm-hmm. Except for several years, did the same thing. It's just it, like the, no one, no one made no sense because he was coming off two awesome years. So I thought he would have gotten a little bit more than whatever 40 million over. I don't remember exactly what the, the, the years were, but I mean, again, $40 million. What are we, what are we complaining yeah, about exactly. here? I mean, it could be worse. Um, so I guess with uh, with that, going back to the Braves a little bit. So now we have we have Freddie Freeman, who is just consistently one of the best first basemen in the league. You have Acuna out in center field. Now we're going to have Ozuna out in left field. Um, I think Marquegas is coming back. Yeah, I think I think Marquegas will be out there. And I think you'll see some combination of Austin Riley and probably – I think they still have Ender and CR Day 2. I think so, but yeah, who are you going to – They still have Adam Duvall, too, who can mash. But well, it, that's... you're going to see Acuna and Zuna in the lineup every day. I yeah. bet they'll be a revolving door otherwise. Yeah, and then, and then um, uh, Albies over at second base. So last year – that was a stack. I know in daily fantasy sports, a lot of people, I was, this was actually explained to me. You want to stack in baseball that way you can have the, the RBIs, the runs, the home runs, and that one picture, if you suck, all of them get on. So when you look at that lineup from that perspective, who are you targeting? And I guess where in your draft would you be paying attention to? Well, Ozuna kind of coming off like some weird seasons. I had him when he was in Miami that one year, and that was that was awesome. Um, but like, where are you looking at all these guys and understanding like where they fit into the lineup and how they can produce runs and be you know hit in because of how kind of long that lineup's become? I think I'm very inter- interested to see their lineup construction because last year their team like was dramatically different once they moved Acuna to the top. And they, hit all, and they hit, I think, Freeman second for much of the year. And Albies was hitting somewhere between four and six, which is interesting. But And Donaldson four or three, depending on the day, mm-hmm. of course. But I think I really do like Acuna sitting at the top of that order just because from a number standpoint, he's my best player. and I want him to get the most at-bats as the year goes on. So put him at one, don't deal with him. And he, he's, the, he's a potential number one overall pick in fantasy. Like you have to strongly consider him there, especially hitting in that spot in front of all those other guys. He's a no-brainer. Freeman, too, just one of the most consistent players in baseball, man. I hate that I love Freddie Freeman, but I love Freddie Freeman. Yeah, me too. That one year that he busted his wrist and uh, they had Matt Adams fill in and they were playing well, and he said, I want to come back, but I'll play third because he's playing so well first, and I know I can. That, like, that's just sick, man. Yeah. That's a baseball player. That is pretty – I forgot yeah. that he did that. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was only a couple years yeah. ago, too. That was, was awesome. Back, yeah, three four years. And, like, he's an all-star first baseman, potential gold glove winner, MVP candidate, perennial. And he, he just wants to do what helps the team, man. That's awesome. It is pretty awesome. I do love that. And then uh, bringing up Donaldson, it's going to be difficult. I want, I would literally sit here and talk to you about every single team. Maybe we can yeah. do that right before fan, right before baseball season. Maybe I'll have you come back on. We'll just I'm go bad. through all the teams. Um, Josh Donaldson finally mm-hmm. signed with the Twins. Mm-hmm. How many more home runs can the Twins hit? Is it possible? Many, many more. Is it like it's, they had three hundred and whatever last year? That's insane. They practically hit two home runs a game. The funniest thing about them signing Donaldson was how lost it got in the Astro shuffle. Yep. Like if Donald, like this, if you just transport ourselves like 365 days in the past and Josh Donaldson signs a four year, hundred million dollar contract, I'd be like, Oh, the hot stove is finally burning. We got some action here. Instead it was not even discussed. Wasn't talked about forgotten by everybody. And he's going, he's going to hit in the middle of a lineup. That's already incredibly good. And like between Jorge Polanco, Cruz, uh, Miguel Sano knows my guy. I love him. I really want him to reach the heights I thought he would reach one day. Yeah, that would be nice. My man and what, Rosario, right? Rosario, that yeah. Team is, Rosario yeah that team is, yeah, that team. That lineup is absolutely stacked. Their pitching definitely took a step back this year. They lost some Kyle Gibson, who's a good death piece, who I think will be a great acquisition for the Rangers. But they also, Barrios had a rough second half last year. I hope he kind of takes that forward. But mm-hmm. they, 
they're another one of the teams. They're on the cutting edge, man. They know what they're doing. Their pitching coach, I think his name is Derek Shelton. I'm not positive on that. Whoever it is, he used to be the pitching coach at Arkansas. And they were on the cutting edge of technology. SEC baseball, for anyone who doesn't know, they are on the cutting edge of technology in baseball. They, most of them have better like, facilities than major league teams. Eno Saros wrote a great article about this on The Athletic the other day. My favorite baseball writer, the king of the world. And it's just crazy to see what these college teams are able to do with these kids. And bringing a college manager to the majors redefined the way they pitched last year. Almost all of their pitchers gained miles per hour on their fastball. That's unheard of for guys who are like already into their career. That's insane. And yeah, I know, I know they signed. I mean, I did not know that fact about the SEC. I knew, I knew SEC yeah. baseball was good. Um, I didn't realize that they were cutting edge of technology. Good. Check, like check that's, out the articles. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, that is awesome. And then, um, the fact that, yeah, I know the twins signed a couple pitchers. I think they got like Homer Bailey maybe. And then like a yeah, couple Michelle, other guys, like, I, yeah, I, like it's the same kind of thing. But I mean, again, as you yeah, said, yeah. if, if, if the pitching coach is that good, they're just sprinkling guys out there. Similar to what yeah. the Astros have been doing. They're just, they're, they find a better way to work these guys out and to train them where you can reach back and find it. Like Martin Perez, his whole career sat like 90, 91. He was a bad pitcher. For two months last year, he was pumping 94 and faked it as being like a number three starter. Like, where, where does it come from? However it happens, man. And then all we know is that they're going to get swept by the Yankees in the playoffs. So Absolutely. that's really all, all it's going to come down to. I like clockwork, man. Um, all right, dude. So this was amazing. I actually do like that idea. I will have you come back on before uh, my fantasy baseball draft, and you can give me all your information. 100%. I'll take my draft, and then I'll release the episode. How's that sound? Absolutely. Um, but the last question I have for you, I mean, obviously being a fantasy baseball writer, being a baseball writer, minor league prospects, the whole nine, um, what is like? what is the vision? Like what is a writer's career? Like you write about baseball. Mm. How much better can it get? I mean, you can make more money. All right, deal. But like, like, what is what is like the what is the what is the next goal? What is the next? Is it working at the athletic? Is it working under MLB? Like, what is that? Are you going to try and be Ken Rosenthal? Like, you don't seem like that kind of guy. Like, what is the yeah, next? But like, what are you what are you shooting for next? It's kind of like what I said before, like what I've been doing for the past year, just trying to get noticed by more publication, get more eyes on my writing, and try and get more notoriety, and hope someone one day gives me a chance, either at a place like the athletic a place like SI, a place like MLB.com, or a place like Major League Baseball team. There's really anything. Where it goes from here, it has money. I really don't care. Like keep, keep working, keep grinding, have fun. I was going to say, man, because like, that's, that's what it is, right? Like you're, you're doing what you love already. Like, yeah. all, all that's going to happen is you're going to have some more deadlines and hopefully make a boatload more money. That's yeah. what it's going to come down to. Money, so. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want you to make well, – well, yeah, we'll get some. I want you to make a lot of money. How's that sound? Um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome, James. Well, I don't have to keep you all night, man. This was – Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, James Chiano, Uncle yeah. Greg, um, <laughs> professional baseball writer. You write for Prospect 365. Pitcher List. Which Pitcher, Pitcher List. List. They're debuting 5.0 day after the Super Bowl. Everyone check in for that and redefine, redesign the website. It's going to be fantastic. And then the Mesmerized. Mesmerized. Follow, follow me on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range. Not a joke. <laughs> oh, buddy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love it. That's good shit. All right, man. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. No problem. Dude. Good talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes of For the Love of Sports. Um, on a personal note, I would really like to say thank you and and sincerely, sincerely mean that. This is the actual favorite thing that I get to do. Just talk to incredible people, have great conversations, and I learn and hopefully you're learning something and hopefully we can laugh along the way. So if you could please give this a five-star review, if you could please share this um, subscribe to it do whatever you have to do the more people 
that do that, the more these stories and these conversations get out. And I'm really hoping that one day, um, one day soon, this will be something that I get to do as a full-time job um, on top of my other full-time job, of course. But this is an absolute blast. Sincerely appreciate it. Check the show notes for all social media handles. Anything that came from the episode, we'll have everything down there. And I hope you really did enjoy it. So if there's anything I can do better, please make sure to reach out. Uh, my email address, michael.raziel1 at gmail. Please make sure to check me out on LinkedIn, uh, on Instagram, and, and just reach out because I'm willing to answer any questions. And hey, if you got a cool story, I'd love to have you on as well. So thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. And I hope you make it a wonderful day.